So we are in the middle of chapter 37, and we are viewing the concept of the future that we are creating. And this is the longest chapter in the 53 chapters of Tanya, the first section of Tanya. It's so involved and it's so enlightening because it helps us see the bird's eye view, the bigger picture, the vision of what we're creating, what life is about, how do we go about it. And we talked about not only is the purpose of the world, the reason why the world was created was so that Hashem could have a dwelling place in the lowest realms, right? This is what we started in chapter 36. Hashem created this world for the purpose of having a home in a place where nobody naturally recognizes him, and then we come to recognize him. But that's, too, the reason why the soul came down here. The soul came down to this world in order to elevate the animal soul, in order to elevate the body, in order to elevate the world. And this seems to be a mystery, and true, we don't understand it. But that's the reason why. So knowing what we know, what we learned up until now, we can have a certain barometer of how to measure things. We know that the purpose of life is creating a home for Hashem in the lowest realms. And that it is specifically action-based mitzvahs that do this the best. If we're going to just detach, if we're just going to be spiritual and we won't engage with the world, we are not fulfilling our purpose. So we looked at action-based mitzvahs, and while they don't seem to be spiritual... They have a very great power. They're extremely effective in engaging our body, in engaging our vital soul, in engaging the world. We are using our physical body to use the world and elevate it to holiness. Now, the Altreb is going to single out a certain mitzvah and say that this mitzvah captures the essence of it all. I'm going to tell you a story that maybe not everybody's going to like. And this is a story of the Rashbats, a fa- famous Hasidic scholar and mentor. He was once far bringing, having a Hasidic gathering with friends, with colleagues, with students. They were inspiring each other. And in the middle of the far bringing, they ran out of food. So he said, you know what? Slaughter the goat. Send my goat to the Shaykhet. Let him slaughter the goat and we'll have more food for the far bringing. So they slaughtered his goat. And the next morning, his wife wakes up early in the morning to milk the goat, feed the family. And she says, oh, my goodness, the goat is stolen. And she goes running to her husband. You'll never believe it. The goat is gone. The goat is stolen. And he says, calm down, calm down. The goat is not stolen. The goat has just made a transformation. Yesterday, the goat was saying, meh, meh, meh. Today, The goat is screaming, Shema Yisrael. Because yesterday, the goat was an animal in the pen, acting like an animal. But after the chassidim ate it and used its energy in order to pray, in order to learn Torah, the goat has become part of them. And the goat now, instead of saying Matt, is screaming Shema Yisrael. And that's really the purpose of it all. It's for us to take this world that seems to deny Hashem and to have the world itself scream out Shema Yisrael. So the Altarab is now going to single out a certain mitzvah and say this mitzvah is a superpower mitzvah. This mitzvah is a mitzvah that accomplishes this goal to the ultimate. And what mitzvah is that? We're on the bottom of page 14. 
The foregoing discussion enables us to understand the particular virtue of mitzvot performed through action. Creation and the soul's descent into the body were both intended for the purpose of elevating the body and vital soul and thereby the entire world. Moreover, this, this objective is reached primarily through the mitzvot involving action inasmuch as these mitzvot are performed by the body and vital soul. These mitzvot are therefore of primary importance. Now, in light of the above, where it was explained that the distinctive quality of the active mitzvot lies in their elevating effect on the body and vital soul, we can understand why our sages so greatly extolled the virtue of charity, declaring it equal to all the other mitzvot together. So the Chachamim took the mitzvah of tzedakah, the mitzvah of charity, and said, it's equivalent to them all. It's so great, it's the equivalent to them all. But why? What's so special about this mitzvah that makes it so powerful that they would say, this mitzvah embodies all the other mitzvahs. And look how far it goes. V'chol Talmud Yerushalmi, he nikreis b'shem mitzvah stam. Ki kach haya hergel halashen, likreit tzedakah b'shem mitzvah stam. In all of the Jerusalem Talmud, Charity is simply called the mitzvah, the commandment. For such was the idiomatic expression commonly used to refer to charity, the mitzvah, the commandment. In the Jerusalem Talmud is recorded, Rabbi Chedina Bar Papa have a maflig mitzvah valilia. Rabbi Chanina, the son of Papa, used to distribute mitzvah in the nighttime. What does it mean he was distributing mitzvah? He was distributing charity. He didn't want to shame poor people, so he would come in the middle of the night and give tzedakah. And how do they say that they gave, he gave tzedakah? How do they express it? They said he was distributing mitzvah. So the sages so greatly extolled this mitzvah of tzedakah, they called it equivalent of all the mitzvahs. And they said, it's the mitzvah. If they don't have any descriptor, it means tzedakah. Why? And the altar is going to explain now. Because charity is the core of all the mitzvot of action and surpass them all. The purpose of all the mitzvot is only to elevate one's animal soul to God, since it is this vital soul that performs them and clothes itself in them. So as to be absorbed into the blessed Ainsof light and clothed in them. So let's look at any mitzvah. What's the point of the mitzvah? Let's look at the larger purpose. The larger purpose is to take this world that hides the divine, draw down the divine into it. Every mitzvah is so precious because it draws down the divine light into the world. It engages the body and the vital soul. Every mitzvah is so precious because it elevates the vital soul to Hashem. When it elevates the vital soul to Hashem, how does it do it, right? The vital soul's energy powers the mitzvah. And when it powers the mitzvah, the vital soul's energy gets absorbed into the light of the Ein Sof. That's what any standard mitzvah does. Takes the vital soul's energy, powers the mitzvah, becomes absorbed into the light of the Ein Sof, creating a home for Hashem, revealing the deep core of this world. The divine light in it. The Einlacham mitzvah, Shenefesh Hachiyunis Mishlabeshba Kokach Kiva Mitzvah Satstaka. Now you will find no other mitzvah in which the vital soul is clothed to the same extent 
as in the mitzvah of tzedakah, of charity. For in all the mitzvahs, only one faculty of the vital soul is clothed, meaning the faculty of action in the hand, donning to fill in or holding an etrog. And even this one faculty is clothed in the mitzvah only while the mitzvah is being performed. So look at all the mitzvahs. It engages one faculty of the soul and only during the performance of the mitzvah. But this mitzvah of tzedakah has the most oomph, the most power, the most effectiveness. Why? In the case of tzedakah, of charity, however, which one gives from the proceeds of the toil of his hands, Surely all the strength of his vital soul is clothed in, meaning applied to the effort of his labor or in any other occupation by which he earned this money, which he now distributes for tzedakah. So let's look at the way a person makes a living. A person makes a living, they put their essence into it. A person could be captured by their work. People work so hard to earn that money that they're giving to tzedakah. Literally, their whole soul is involved in it. When we say the Shema, we say, You should love Hashem your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your, means your veryness, with all your might. And our sages say, it means your money. A person puts all their might into making their money. They take this soul that they invested into the money and they elevate it to Hashem when they give tzedakah. There is a story in the Talmud, in the Midrash, about a rich man who was trying to bring an ox to the holy temple for a sacrifice. And the ox wouldn't budge. There was a poor man walking by and he saw the commotion. Nobody's able to move the ox, bring it to the temple. And he is walking home with a bundle of simple greens. What does he do? He walks over to the ox and he starts feeding the ox the simple greens. The ox sneezes, a needle comes out of his nose, and he starts proceeding, walking all the way to the temple. That night, the rich man has a dream. And in the dream, he was told that the poor man's sacrifice of greens to bring his ox to the temple was much greater than his sacrifice of the fattened ox. So when we're looking at the amount of wealth that was elevated at that time, what wins? The fattened ox. But when we're looking at the amount of soul that went up to Hashem, what wins? That bundle of greens. That bundle of greens was everything that poor man had. He would have ate it for dinner that night. He literally raised his soul to have that money. In fact, the Torah in telling us not to withhold the wages of the worker says, Ki anihu, for he is poor. The Elav who nice esnafshai, and he raises his soul to earn it. He literally puts his soul into earning the money. In fact, in that same passage in the Midrash, the Midrash recounts how there was a poor woman bringing just one handful of fine flour as a sacrifice. And the Kohen who was bringing the sacrifice for her was discounting her meager sacrifice. 
And he was saying, what's there already in here to bring up? What's there already to eat? And that night, he has a dream. The Kohen has a dream. And he is told, how could you have disgraced, discredited this woman's sacrifice? She brought up her very soul. So our earnings represents our soul because we put our energies into it. People become so invested in earning their money that literally their totality is in it. When somebody is confused with business or so involved in his business dealings and his business affairs, earning the money, you can't talk to him sometimes. Everything else is quieted down and the essence of his soul is going towards earning that money. So when a person takes that money that he earned and gives it to a poor person, gives it to tzedakah, what happens? He elevates that soul that he put into the money. And the altar is now explaining to us that there's a reason why our sages singled out this mitzvah of tzedakah. Because what's the plan here? The plan here is elevate the world, elevate the animal soul to Hashem. Remember that when the Jewish vital soul is elevated to Hashem, the rest of the world is going to go up with it. What mitzvah has the most power in that? It's tzedakah. It's not just one faculty and it's just not at the time of the mitzvah, but it's the entirety of the soul. And for all that time that a person worked to earn that money, it all goes up to Hashem, the time of tzedakah. Now, this story actually from the Midrash was once recounted by the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov, before he was known to be the famous person that he was, used to travel around to inspire the simple people who felt so dejected. They didn't feel like Hashem values them much. All they understood was that anybody who's a scholar is important. And if you're not a scholar, your, your prayers don't mean anything. Your efforts don't mean anything. And of course, this is not true. And the Baal Shem Tov used to travel from town to town to teach people that Hashem loves them and he desires their earnestness. And one time he was in the marketplace telling this very story about the rich man who was trying to bring the fattened ox to the temple and the poor man who gave the greens in order to bring the ox and how the greens was so much more important, such a greater sacrifice to Hashem. And there was a simple water carrier who heard the story. And he thought, I should like to do that. I want to be earnest and joyful and give it my all and serving Hashem. And he couldn't think, what could I do? What can I do for Hashem? And then he thought, you know what? Half of my earnings comes from delivering water to the four wealthiest people in town because they pay me well, way above the going rate for the water. My competition, he doesn't have those kind of customers. But what kind of customers does he have? He has four synagogues who pay him half rate for the water. Maybe I'll exchange four for four. He went home and he asked his wife, what do you think? This man came to the marketplace. He told this story about Hashem desires our heart. I want to give my heart to Hashem. What if I exchange my four best paying customers for four synagogues? And she said, I think that's a great idea. So he goes to his competitor and he said, would you take four for four? And he was very lacking in funds. And he said, yeah, I'll do it. And so he switched. And this couple, this poor couple who was sincere but unlettered, became the parents of the famous Hasidic scholars, Reb Zush of Anapoli and Reb Alimelech of Lizhensk, two towers, towers in Torah learning, in Hasidic philosophy, in Avas Yisrael, two most prominent 
students of the Magad of Mezrich, colleagues of the Alter Rebbe, in fact, Reb Zusha was one of the people that the Alter Rebbe asked to write an approbation for his book of Tanya. His parents' good-heartedness, wanting to give their essence of their soul to Hashem, brought children like that into the world. The Alter Rebbe told a story of the parents of Reb Zusha. He said that one time, wandering beggars came to their house, sorely in need of a bath. And so they happily heated water, the husband and the wife together, Eliezer, Lipa, and Miro. But one of the beggars was covered with sores. He had like leprosy and none of the beggars wanted to help him. And Miro felt terrible for him. And so she put together ointments and bandages. She handed him whatever he needed and said, please take good care of yourself. And after he bathed and anointed himself and put on the bandages that he needed, he was so grateful. And he looked at Miro and he said, Wow, you're so, so kind. I bless you that you should have a child just like me. And that was the last thing she wanted to hear. A child just like him. But the beggars disappeared so suddenly that she realized that something was different about the story. And a year later, she gave birth to the famous Rabbi Elimelech of Lijensk. So these are people who lived with sincerity and who gave their very heart to Hashem. And that's what charity is. Charity is the most effective because we literally pour our heart into earning a living. It's almost like the money is in exchange for the soul's energies. And when a person uses that and gives it to tzedakah, they are literally consecrating their vital soul to Hashem. Um, I don't remember if I read this part, so I'm going to read this again. Surely all the effort of his vital soul is clothed in, meaning applied to the effort of his labor or in any other occupation by which he earned his money, which he now distributes for charity. Thus, when he gives it to charity, when he gives to charity this money to which he applied all the strength of his vital soul, his entire vital soul ascends to Hashem, hence the superiority of charity over the other mitzvahs. But this seems to imply that if one does not invest all his strength into earning his livelihood, his charity lacks this quality, to which the altar of a rejoice. What if somebody has a great inheritance so they don't have to work hard for their money? Or what if they're a brilliant scientist who's making money off a couple of patents? So does that count? When they give that money to Tzedakah, does it count? They are not investing their soul's energy into making the money. Even he who does not earn his livelihood from his labors, nevertheless, since he could have purchased with this money that he gave for charity to sustenance, for, for, I'm sorry, that he gave for charity sustenance for the life of his vital soul, he is actually giving his soul's life to Hashem in the form of charity. Thus, charity comprises and therefore elevates more energy of the vital soul than any other mitzvah. So even if he didn't put life into the, making the money, he would have gotten life from keeping the money. He could have used this money for things that he needed for his very soul. And instead of doing that, he gave it to somebody else who needed and even though he didn't pour his life energy into making the money, but he still gave life energy. And this is so powerful because he elevates his vital soul to Hashem, much more than with any other mitzvah. 
This is why our sages have said that charity hastens the messianic redemption. So the sages made a statement in the Talmud. They said, Charity is so great that it hastens the redemption. So the Maharsha, a famous commentator on the Talmud, explains that a person shows kindness to another, and in return, Hashem shows kindness. What's the ultimate kindness? Is that he's going to bring the ultimate redemption. So if we look at it from that level only, we see it as kind of a reward or a good omen, a good prompt. You do this, mida keneged mida, measure for measure. You show kindness, you'll get kindness. But the Altar of it explains that at the depth of things, it goes further than that. It's not just a reward. It actually is creating the redemption. Because when a person gives tzedakah, they give the essence of their vital soul to Hashem. They're elevating the physical. They're elevating their animal self to Hashem. And this is so effective in bringing that time of the geula. That time of the geula is when Hashem's going to be revealed within everything in this world. And that's achieved by us using our vital soul to draw down his energies into this world. Which mitzvah uses the most of the vital soul? Tzedakah. So which mitzvah brings that coming future the most? Tzedakah. For with one act of charity, one elevates a great deal of the vital soul, more of its faculties and powers, in fact, than he might elevate through many other active mitzvot combined. As mentioned earlier in this chapter, the Messianic era is a result of our efforts in purifying and elevating the vital soul. Charity, which affects this elevation in such great measure, thus hastens the redemption. So we're going to wrap up what we said until now and move on to this next section. What we said until now really closes the concept that we began in chapter 35, which is what is so important about action mitzvahs. It doesn't seem to make sense. It should be just detached, be spiritual. Well, action mitzvahs bring about Hashem's dream. Action mitzvahs are about taking this world that hides Hashem, engaging it, elevating it, revealing Hashem. In this last section, we learn that there's a mitzvah that has the most oomph in this regard, and that is the mitzvah of tzedakah, because it takes the most of the vital soul at once and elevates it to Hashem. Okay, so with that concept now in mind, that it's all about engaging the physical, the more of the physical world we use, the better. The more of our vital soul gets elevated, the better. Let's take what we know and move to a mitzvah that our sages have praised so much, and yet it is not an action mitzvah. It's a thought and speech-based mitzvah. If our sages, and that's going to be the mitzvah of Torah study, if our sages single out a mitzvah and say it's extremely powerful, they must be viewing it in view of the larger goal, and that is creating a home for Hashem in these lowest realms. So we understood, the Altarab explained to us, why, mitz- why the mitzvah of tzedakah, which the Chachamim just called mitzvah, the mitzvah, is so powerful because it elevates so much of this world at once. It involves the body, it involves our vital soul to such a great degree. The mitzvah of Torah study is a spiritual mitzvah. It's a mitzvah that uses our thought. It's a mitzvah that uses our speech. Our Chachamim have singled it out and said, that it is outweighs all the other mitzvahs. How? I don't see anything physical about the mitzvah of Torah study. If we're going to take 
a different viewpoint. If we're going to say, nah, that's not what it's about. Let's get real. Coming to this world is about ignoring the world. We come here so we can detach and we could be spiritual. We love that, right? Forget about everything. Let's just be spiritual all day. And then it makes sense to praise the mitzvah of Torah study. Because what do we do? We get to ignore the world. We get to delve into divine wisdom and forget everything else. How wonderful. Transcend. Disengage. But clearly, if the Chacham praised this mitzvah, it means that this is a mitzvah that accomplishes this ultimate goal in a most profound way. How? And so the Alter is going to explain that the mitzvah of Torah study has an effect that no other mitzvah has. As for the statement of our sages that Torah study outweighs all other mitzvot, including charity, how can this be reconciled with what was said above? So in the beginning of Mishnah Peah, a list a bunch of mitzvahs that a person even gets the, reaps the, the rewards in this world. And after enumerating them all, it ends up by saying, Torah study outweighs them all. Now the Rambam, in his commentary to the Mishnah, explains, bringing the statement of our sages from the Talmud, that Gadol Talmud Shamevi Lidei Maisa. Great is study because it brings you to action. How could you fulfill the mitzvahs if you don't study? So Torah study is so great because it brings you to keep the mitzvahs properly. But looking at it that way, then we're going to have to say that Torah study by itself, in and of itself, doesn't have inherent value. It is only that it brings you to do the mitzvahs. Here the altar is going to bring things in sharp focus and say, there is something so incredible about Torah study in and of itself that it has merit above all the other mitzvahs. It accomplishes something in this greater goal of creating a home for Hashem more than any other mitzvah. Hainu mepnei shetalmatayra hi bedibur umachshava shehem levushim hapimim shal nefesh hachiyones. This is because the study of Torah employs speech and thought, which are the inner garments of the vital soul, unlike action, which is external. Thus, only Torah study and not other mitzvot can suffuse the inner garments of the soul with the light of Torah. So in order to understand this statement, let's review concepts that we learned earlier in Tanya. There's the essence of the soul. The essence of the soul really is undefinable. But the closest way we can come to define it is by its intellect and emotions. If you want to say what the essence of the soul is, it's intellect and emotions. It's the way we understand. It's the way we feel. It's really our identity. That's almost impossible for, to change. We, almost nobody can change the essence of their soul. Almost nobody can change their intellect and emotions. Then there are the garments of the soul. The way the soul expresses itself. The way it brings its ideas, its hopes, its dreams outside of itself. And that is through thought, speech, and action. These are modes of expression. Most people don't think of thought as a mode of expression, but it's actually the soul expressing itself to itself. The difference between intellect and thought is profound. When I tell you something, or when you hear something, and you understand it, you understand it in a pre-lingual state. Understanding is not in a language. Understanding touches the essence of the soul. 
Thought, on the other hand, is always in a language. And the difference between intellect and thought would be you can think things that make no sense at all, but you cannot understand things that make no sense at all. So if somebody tells you, think in your head, 100 minus 100 is 3 million. Sure, you can think that thought in your head. You can actually hold that thought. But if they say, get that in your mind, understand this very clearly what I'm saying to you. Ready? 100 minus 100 is 3 million. Sorry, no cajoling, no coercing, no rewards or incentives is ever going to get you to understand something that makes no sense. So when it comes to intellect and emotions, that's the very essence of the soul. When it comes to thought, speech, and action, these are the garments of the soul. Of these three garments, action is the most external to the person. A person acts upon something which is outside of himself. He can create something and then leave it alone and it doesn't need him anymore. He could fashion a vessel, walk on his way, and there continues to exist the vessel without his tender loving care. It's over. He made it and he can move on. On the other hand, speaking is much more closely connected to the essence of the soul because speech only exists while the person is speaking. And thought all the more so is so intimately connected with the essence of the soul that it never leaves the person. It's always existing only within the person themselves. So when we're looking at creating a home for Hashem in this physical world, action is so powerful because it engages the physical objects of this world. But when we're talking about which mitzvah influences the soul most deeply, it's the mitzvah of Torah study. Because the mitzvah of Torah study uses thought and speech, which are garments of the soul that are more intimately connected to the soul. Every mitzvah forges a bond with Hashem, whether or not we're aware of it. The Alter Rebbe writes in a letter quoted later on in Tanya, that Hashem, it says the, the Pasuk can tell him, You open up your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. A person's hands could become Hashem's hand in that instance. Somebody gives tzedakah, their hand actually becomes a conduit of Hashem's hand. Nevertheless, the hand does not change. The hand remains the same hand. On the other hand, when we study Torah, the mind is never the same. Once we digest and understand an idea, the mind has been transformed. There's a much more intimate level of involvement with the soul when it comes to the mitzvah of Torah study. Furthermore, the very substance and essence of the intellectual faculties of Chabad of the Klipat Noga, of the vital soul, are actually absorbed into holiness when one studies Torah with concentration and intelligence. So first we were saying, you know what's so amazing about Torah study? It's not just the external garment of the soul that's engaged over here, but even the internal garments, those of speech, those of thought, are being used and engaged in Torah study. This is a much more intimate connection of vital soul with Hashem. 
Now the Alter Rebbe takes it one step further. It's not just the garments of the vital soul that are identifying with Hashem, but actually the essence of the vital soul is connecting with Hashem. Chachma, Bina, Da'at, the intellectual faculties, the essence of the soul, the identity of the vital soul is becoming absorbed into holiness, literally absorbed into holiness. We're taking this vital soul, its very essence, which really is not able to be transformed by most of us, and something of its essence is becoming transformed when a person studies Torah. And the Alter says here, Be'yun v'seichel, with concentration and intelligence. And this is the difference between reading words of Torah without understanding them, which actually does fulfill the mitzvah of Torah study. So let's say someone reads words of Tehillim, which is part of Tanakh. They don't understand what they're saying, but they're thinking about what they're saying. And they're using their speech and their thought for Torah. And they are actually fulfilling the mitzvah of Torah study. But when a person doesn't just use those inner garments of speech and thought, but actually engages his understanding, he dissects, he analyzes, he gets intellectually involved, he understands, then not just is he transforming the inner garments of his vital soul, he's transforming the essence of his vital soul. Now, in order to understand the next words coming up. Let's review another concept that we learned previously, and that is the difference between a benoni and a tzaddik. A tzaddik is somebody who has that divine gift that he can actually take his evil nature and transform it to holiness. So, so great is this transformation that he no longer desires anything worldly just for the sake of pleasure. He only desires that which advances the divine dream. He only is attracted to holiness. That's a very small percentage of people. Most of us will never get there. Most of us do not have that capability of transforming the core animal soul. So for the Benoni, the perfect person with this spiritual condition of not ever being able to be a tzaddik, what he can do is complete control over his thoughts, complete control over his speech, complete control over his action, but no power over the essence of his soul. Now this may sound like, oh my goodness. Why bother struggling? I'm never going to win. I just want to do whatever I want for heaven's sake. It's getting too much. Complete control over thought, complete control over speech, complete control over action. Never going to be able to transform the essence of my animal soul. So why the struggle? Let's just do whatever I want. There is this brilliant saying from the Katzker Hasidim. And it goes like this. How do you define freedom? The world defines freedom as, I am free to do whatever I want. Judaism defines freedom as, I am free to do even that which I don't want to do. And what does that mean? Somebody who lives with the first mode of freedom is not actually free. They're essentially an addict. Their impulsive self is stifling their higher self because they can't be bothered to take the discipline, rein in the chaos, and give voice to their deepest, highest self. They're not truly a free person. They're dictated by their impulses. On the other hand, somebody who lives with Torah freedom 
who puts up a struggle and does things which their animal soul doesn't necessarily naturally want to do, is a person who lives with vision, a person who lives with focus, a person who has a chance to give freedom to their deepest essential self. So definitely worth the fight for the Benoni. But part of the struggle is that the Benoni is never able to elevate the essence of his animal soul. And the altar is saying that's true only to a certain extent. But there is something of the identity, the very essence and substance of the animal soul that the Benoni, the struggling man, can in fact elevate. The intellectual faculties applied to Torah study are absorbed in the holiness of the mitzvah of Torah study and thereby ascend from the realm of Klipat Noga, to which they previously belonged, being a part of the vital soul, to the realm of holiness. Although it was explained in chapter 12 that the Benoni is capable of transforming to holiness only the garments of the animal soul, not the soul faculties themselves, there is no contradiction here. The latter statement applies only to the Midot the emotional attributes of the animal soul. The Benoni is indeed incapable of transforming the Midot to holiness. Chabad, however, the intellectual faculties of the animal soul can be transformed even by the Benoni. And studying is much deeper. Intellect is much, has a much more profound effect on changing the person than feeling an emotion. This is a problem, in fact, that a Benoni struggles with. A Benoni, the person who's never going to have transformed his core of his animal soul, is somebody who can at times be totally in love with Hashem, on fire with love for Him. But then after prayer, that love doesn't feel. It walks away. It's fleeting. And then he could even, I don't want to use the word fleeting, but it does pass. After those feelings of intense emotion for Hashem, of intense love, when those feelings are now dissipate, when those feelings now dissipate, the person can though go feel love or desire or temptation for things that he shouldn't feel. Because when he felt the emotion, it was strong. But once the emotion passed, it didn't change him. On the other hand, when we learn something and we understand it, it's transformational. It changes us. When somebody takes an idea which existed outside of themselves and then they grasp the idea, the idea doesn't become a foreign object which has been taken into the mind. The idea becomes the mind. So much so that, let's say mind is meeting huge idea that is way beyond the mind. No fusion, not happening. Person does not understand this huge idea. But what if a person understands an idea that was just above what they could have understood before. They worked very hard. They came to understand the idea and now they understand it. The mind has absorbed the idea so that the idea now becomes the mind and the mind is that much larger so that the next time a person meets an idea that used to be too big for them, they can now understand it because the first idea has enlarged the mind. And this is the profound effect of Torah study. Torah study is so incredible because it has such an influence on the identity of the animal soul. It's not just about taking an action which a person may not identify with. It's about influencing the soul, so now the animal soul, so that now it relates and change. It actually is absorbing divine ideas. 
And this is enormous. This is so different from the mitzvah of Torah study than any other mitzvah. Let's put this in context of the larger goal here in making a home for Hashem. The sages said that Hashem desired to have an an abode in the lowest realms. It wasn't just that he wanted to be present in the lowest realms, that he should be found here. He wanted to live here. What's the difference between just happening to be somewhere and living somewhere? When you live somewhere, your essence has a connection to it. If a person is only doing mitzvahs, but they're not studying Torah, then practically speaking, Hashem is found there. But their animal soul may not identify with that. And if their animal soul does not identify with that, then Hashem doesn't have a home. He's there, but it's not his home. When we study Torah and we identify with those ideas, we have created a home for him within our animal soul. And that's what's so profound about Torah study. Now the Altar is going to take this a step further. The Altar now explains the difference between them. He will now explain why it is possible that we could Elevate our intellect, but we cannot elevate our emotions. Although Benonim are incapable of mastering the substance and essence of the Midot, the emotions, Chesed, Gevur, Teferet, and so on, so as to transform them into holiness, Hainu Mishum Shehara Chazak Yaiser Bamidais. This is because the evil of Klippa is stronger in the Midot than in Chabad, the intellectual faculties. Since on the level of Midot, they, the Klippa, draw more vitality from holiness than they do on the level of Chabad, as is known to students of the Kabbalah. Okay, so let's talk about this. We're saying that Benoni is able to transform the intellectual faculties of his animal soul, but he cannot transform the emotional faculties of his animal soul. And the reason for it is because the evil is more deeply rooted in the emotions of the animal soul than it is in the intellect of the animal soul. In order to understand this, we have to define evil. What is evil? So the Hebrew word for evil is ra. Ra is a word used in the Talmud to express unstable, shaky. For example, kaisel re'ua, an unstable wall. This means that the wall is not well-rooted to its source, to its foundation. It's unstable, it's shaky. That's what evil means. Evil means not expressing its source. You know, we say the word evil and we automatically think of the worst. Don't kill, don't steal. We're thinking of like the most highest level of corruption. The highest level of corruption comes from a much subtler level of corruption. That first inception of corruption is a split. It's that place where something no longer is connected to its source so that it expresses its source. That's what evil is. Evil is not expressing the source. Unstable, disconnected, shaky. What is the source of everything? The source of everything is Hashem. What's the ultimate truth? The ultimate truth is there's nothing else besides Hashem. Now let's look at the difference in this regard from emotions to intellect. When it comes to emotions, it's all about me. I feel my heart is pulled towards this. 
there's a much greater sense of ego, a much greater sense of self in the world of emotions. That means translated as there is much more evil in the world of emotions. Emotions are naturally more self-centered. They're about self. They don't express the truth that there's nothing else besides Hashem, just in the natural way. And therefore, they are a greater manifestation of evil when it comes to the vital soul, because the animal soul comes from Klippa. And this part of the animal soul, its emotions are self-centered. They don't express the truth that there's nothing else besides Hashem. That means that evil is more deeply entrenched in the midot, the emotions of the animal soul. Let's look at intellect. While the emphasis of emotions is me, the emphasis of intellect is truth. If somebody really wants to understand something, they have to get their ego out of the way. If you are truly going to grasp an idea at the core, you're going to shed all your previous pre, all your previous notions, all your preconceptions, your personal agenda, and look at the truth to see what is the truth as it is. Forget about me right now. What is the truth? It's a much more objective reality. So because emotions are about me, and intellect is about the truth, regardless of what my personal feelings or agenda is, it means that intellect is a much more refined space of the animal soul. It is less ego-centered, and therefore the evil is less entrenched in the intellect of the vital soul than it is in the emotions of the vital soul. Okay, so we were just saying the reason why the Bainanim true, they have no mastery over the essence of their soul. But that's when it comes to the emotions because evil is much more entrenched in the emotions of the animal soul. When it comes to the intellect, they actually are able to absorb those into holiness. And this is because they draw more vitality from holiness. The emotions draw more vitality from holiness than do the intellect. Okay, so one second over here. We were saying that the evil is more deeply entrenched in the emotions because the emotions have more nurture from holiness than the intellect does. So as it is expressed in this world, emotions are on a lower level. They're more self-centered. They're more ego-based. Intellect is on a higher level. It's more objective. It's about the truth. It's less about me. But this state of affairs is an evolution from a higher spiritual state of affairs. And in that place, emotions have much more nurture from holiness than intellect. And therefore, their evil is much more deeply entrenched. So let me wrap up what we said until now, and then I'm going to open for questions and discussion. And that is we started to look at some mitzvahs that advance the divine desire. The first mitzvah that we looked at was the mitzvah of tzedakah. This was clearly a very, very powerful mitzvah because it literally encapsulates the vitality of the animal soul. When a person gives charity, he literally takes his vital soul and elevates it to Hashem. But then there is another mitzvah that advances the divine agenda more than any other mitzvah in a certain way. And that's the mitzvah of Torah study. Because all those action mitzvahs engage the external garment of the vital soul. 
But when it comes to the mitzvah of Torah study, what's engaged over here? Those garments of the vital soul that are more intimate to it. Thought and speech. And when we engage our intellect as well, then even the essence of the vital soul is engaged and transformed in the mitzvah of Torah study. There's a deep influence in the mitzvah of Torah study upon the vital soul, creating a home for Hashem in a way that no other mitzvah can when it comes to the mitzvah of Torah study. So we are just ending at a point where we're going to talk about why it is that emotions have so much more evil in them than intellect, and this is a reflection of a spiritual state of affairs. And we're going to, Be'ezrus Hashem, give us a more complete treatment next week.